lot. So just would love to be praying for you. And, and that's just a, a simple way for you to be able to do that. Um, with that being said, let's go ahead and uh, get into the word this morning. If you have your Bible, please grab that. And uh, I'll be referencing some places to turn in that shortly. Well, we've been in a series called Emotional Intelligence, where as a church, we're just trying to think through and learn how does, what does it look like to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ and learn to filter, sift, and use our emotions for the glory of God, becoming more and more whole people. So hopefully you've benefited from this series as we're thinking about how to function in these emotions, this, this range of emotions. So that's what we're going to be doing today. Actually, we're finishing our teaching series in uh, emotional uh, intelligence today. I get to wrap it up. And then uh, starting next Sunday, we're going to be going through the book of Philippians for kind of a short uh, time through that. And then through, after that, we're going to be teaching through the book of Mark. And that'll take about eight years. And it's going to be, uh, now it should be good. We're going to be teaching through that book and it, it should be a, a good time. But we'll do Philippians first. Well, beginning to now be a dad, um, there are times when I hear my son, Elias, cry, and it melts my heart. Uh, Elias, recently, uh, we took him in to have uh, a lip tie removed, and we went in to, to do that, and it turns out he had a tongue tie as well, so they had to do a, a double whammy. They take, a, like, a laser and hold his little face down. Yeah. And one of the things you have to do as a parent, primarily Jasmine, she's been doing this because she's a trooper, uh, you have to take your finger and rub across the wound five to six times a day, one time in the middle of the night, so that the tongue and the lip doesn't grow back in the way that it was because your mouth heals so fast, you know. So five or six times a day, we have to pin him down and he just like last night I was tearing up watching him do, go, undergo this thing. It's just the most brutal thing. But my heart is moved towards him. Maybe you've had a, a friend or a family member confide in you. And they're sharing deep suffering and heart-wrenching wounds that have been done to them or that they've been a part of. And as you're listening to them, your heart is moved towards them. You are sharing in that suffering almost with them. And maybe you're... Maybe you're a crier and you kind of are moved to tears as they're sharing this suffering with you. Or maybe you're a, a dog person like I am. Maybe you want to be a dog person. And when your dog is wounded, you just know they're in, in pain. We were at the beach a few weeks ago when we brought our dog Remington. He's an amazing dog if you haven't met him. But he, uh, he got a, a thorn in his paw. And he was acting different. He was kind of hiding out under this little shady area. And sure enough, he had a thorn in his paw. So we got home. We had to kind of hold him down. And Jasmine had the tweezers out. And it just, like, your heart breaks for the guy, you know? So what is this emotion? It's compassion. So your heart is moved with pity and mercy for someone, with someone. The word compassion, uh, this, this emotion of compassion, it shows up over 100 times in our Bibles. In the Old Testament, there is a, a key word used for compassion. It's rahama or rahamim. And it means to have a deep, tender mercy. Uh, it actually even has reference to the, the womb of a mother, the kind of love, maternal love that a mother has for the baby that's growing in her womb. And it's spoken of God's compassion for his covenant people in the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, there's one word that is the most commonly used and uh, I told Jasmine I wouldn't try and pronounce it because it's a tricky one. 
but its root word actually means um, bowels or intestines, like gut. And in, in places in the New Testament, it's translated as affection or heart. And so the whole word put together with this root word, it's this idea that you're moved inside at a gut level. You ever been moved inside at a gut level for someone where you're just like, ah, it hurts my heart. What's going on in your life? That's compassion. You feel it deep down in your bones. Compassion, uh, just the way that we're going to define it this morning, it's to feel, putting these two um, biblical words together, it's to feel pity and mercy deeply for and with someone. Why do I say with someone? Well, just in the, the English word compassion, both those words calm, or the, I guess that would be a prefix, and passion means having passion with someone. To share in someone's passion, to share in someone's feeling or emotion, and that's, that's what compassion is. And, and today, hopefully, we'll learn who God is and his compassion, and then as a reflection of that, as his people, what does it look like to become more compassionate people? So first, I want to, if you're a note taker, we're thinking about firstly God's compassion. So before we even start thinking about what does it look like for us to have compassion, we must first understand that God is actually a compassionate God. This is one of his attributes. And as his image bearers, we learn to reflect his image. And this is one of the components of his image. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn a couple places with me. One would be Matthew chapter 9. I don't usually do this, but it's a good kind of, it's a good exercise for the thumbs. Matthew chapter 9, it's the first book in the New Testament, and the second place I'd like you to turn is Hebrews chapter 1, and then hang on to those, I'll read some scripture, and we'll circle back to those, I, I do promise. So one of the first places that we see God And his compassion on display is Exodus chapter 34. This is really fascinating dialogue with Moses. In chapter 33, Moses is pleading that God would show him his glory. Which is kind of strange because Moses had been seeing God's glory closer than any person ever had. But I love it. In the end of chapter 33, you can look there if you want. He says, show me your glory, exclamation point. He wants to see God's glory. And so God says, hey, I'm going to pass by you. I'm going to have my goodness to pass by in front of you. And then in chapter 34, God actually proclaims to Moses who he is. It's like this self-proclamation. So just as an interesting side note, if you want to see God's glory, you ever had that feeling as a Christian where you're like, I want to be overwhelmed with the beauty, majesty, glory of God. But really, what does that mean? What am I asking for? God answers Moses' prayer for more glory in his life by preaching to him. He preaches his character to Moses. He said, you want to see my glory? Listen in for a sermon. I'm going to teach you about my glory, which is my character. So Exodus 34, he's proclaiming his glorious character to Moses. It says, Yahweh passed by in front of him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh God, compassionate, and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. It's one of the first instances. And this kind of verse, this idea of of these things coming in in conjunction with each other, they happen all over scripture. And David, uh, King David picks up on it in Psalm 103, which I quoted from briefly this morning, our time of worship. But King David, 
says the same thing. He says, Yahweh is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Aren't you glad that's who God is? Abounding in loving kindness. And then he goes on to say in verse 13, just as a father has compassion on his children, so Yahweh has compassion on those who fear him. But not as, like as fathers, I'm a new dad, I'm new to this thing. I have compassion for Elias, but it's mixed with frustration. Like when he's crying, I feel angry sometimes. Am I the only dad who's ever experienced that? Okay. And, you know, there's impatience, but God's fatherly compassion for his children is, is perfect. And so this is just beautiful. Again and again in the Old Testament, you see this, this idea that God himself is compassionate. He's full of this tender, kind mercy towards broken, destitute, sinful people. And then in the New Testament, Colossians 1.15, we learn that Jesus is actually the image of the invisible God, that he perfectly images the glory of God. He perfectly images and reflects the character of God, and one of those aspects being his compassion. In uh, Colossians 1.15, again, he says he is the image of the invisible God. And so just important to think about when we're considering, like, who is God? What is his character like? Um, we look to Jesus. We look no further than Jesus. As he's the one who's reflecting who the Father is. So Hebrews, if you uh, turn there, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, just on this idea that Jesus is reflecting who God is. Verse 1 says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, through whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. So he's spoken in these last days through his son. Let's just actually, just for a little crowd interaction, what were some of the ways that God spoke to his people in the Old Testament? He said in many portions and in many ways. Just name a few ways that God spoke to his people. Prophets. Wait. Burning bush. That was different. Yeah, that was in many ways pillar in the cloud yeah through a donkey do you remember that one okay many portions in many ways but he says in these last days it's through his son we know of God through his son uh, that's the key that's the access point to knowing who God is it's so important that we start with Jesus and look onto the scriptures through the lens of Jesus Christ and then the rest of the verse says, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. So when we're, when we're thinking about God's compassion, we must look to Jesus himself to see what is the way that he interacted with people. What kind of compassion did he have towards broken people? And that's what we'll do now. Turn to Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to be looking at verse 35 and verse 36. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 and 36. Verse 35 says, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. This is what we picture when we think about Jesus. He's teaching He's preaching, he's casting out demons, he's healing people. In verse 36, it says, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed 
and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. So I just want to think about this for a moment, just thinking about Jesus' compassion for these people. My translation, the New American Standard, says distressed or dispirited, but I think probably better is the NIV or the ESV, which says harassed and helpless. The idea is that they were harassed probably by bad teachers. Think the Pharisees and the scribes, those who were leading them. Uh, you can, one translator or one uh, commentator said that you can actually literally translate it, torn and thrown down. Picture like the bloodied remains of a little lamb after a wolf comes through a flock. That's how Jesus is seeing these people and it moves them with compassion because they're like these scared, distressed, harassed, torn down sheep without a shepherd. Maybe these people were socially awkward we have any socially awkward folks with us today? Maybe they were without status or popularity. They were insignificant in their own minds. Maybe they were poor, physically poor, spiritually poor, under spiritual abuse and manipulation, without good leadership, and uh, in no direction in their life. And so Jesus comes up upon this group of people and is moved with compassion, deep pity and mercy for them. And what we have to remember is that we would have fit into this crowd very well. Distressed, harassed, torn down, really sinful, broken. And Jesus is moved with compassion. Rather than walking up and saying, man, there's no leadership among these people. What are these fools doing? Get, get their act together. No, he's actually moved with compassion to the point that he's going to take action. And all throughout the Gospels, you see this phrase, Jesus being moved with compassion, or he felt compassion, and it would lead him to heal people, to cast out demons, to intervene. He hung around sinners, which made the religious people very upset, which we'll talk about in a moment. But Jesus had genuine compassion on these people. And just as a side note, we need to remember that Jesus' compassion didn't blind him from understanding the real issue of, of, of human evil and sin. So he wasn't just this big softy that just, hey, you know, we're just going to sweep all this stuff under the rug. My heartstrings are tugged towards you. There's genuine justice that accompanies compassion too. So just important, we'll talk about this later, but some of us are so sympathetic and compassionate that we never actually call people towards holiness, we just want to sympathize with people to the point where we never actually say, yeah, but you got to repent of your sins. What well, was Jesus' message? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. You need to change your mind. You need to change the way you think. So that's just a, a kind of a freebie there. I love this. Uh, Ray Ortland does a, he's a pastor in Nashville, Tennessee, an author. He does a, a podcast called Gentle and Lowly. And I remember, do you remember talking about this podcast, Alex? Okay. Alex and I used to, this whole family, we used to do ministry together in Ashland. And anyways, I stumbled upon this podcast when I was there. I would really encourage, you can find it on Spotify or um, any other place you find podcasts. It's called Gentle and Lowly. And he says this in one of his episodes called The Touch of Compassion. Listen to what he says about Jesus's compassion. He says, what was his first impulse when he came across prostitutes and lepers? He moved toward them. Pity flooded his heart, the longing of true compassion. 
The same one who reached out and touched lepers puts his arm around us when we feel misunderstood and sidelined. The Jesus who reached out and cleansed messy sinners reaches into our souls and answers our half-hearted pleas for mercy with the mighty invincible cleansing of one who cannot bear to do otherwise. This is our Jesus. As I was thinking about this idea of Jesus's compassion that moved him towards broken people, I want you to picture yourself in your living room with Jesus. And with Jesus, you're sharing your deepest, darkest fears, wounds, sin, things that you've never told anything, anyone about, things that you're deeply ashamed about. And Jesus is sitting on the edge of the couch, and he's not like this. He's not tapping his foot in impatience for you to finish up so he can fix the problem. But he's leaning over the edge of his couch. Well, it's his couch because he's in your house, but anyways... And he's moved with compassion towards you. There's a look of tenderness in his eyes, a look of deep understanding. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things, yet without sin. He's not ready to smack us down and beat us, but he's ready to receive us with open arms. And this is who our God is. As I said before, the the Pharisees were very upset with Jesus and his methodology, very different from theirs. Jesus hung around sinners. And in Luke chapter 15, it says that the Pharisees and scribes were very upset about this. Like, Jesus, you can't be, if you're some rabbi, you can't be hanging around these prostitutes. You know, you're looking at making our, our religion look bad. And so he tells this parable to kind of put his finger on the issue for that these guys were having. And he tells the story of the prodigal son. You remember the story. There's a father and he has two sons. And the younger son was kind of the wild child, maybe a little bit of the black sheep. And he asked his father for his inheritance early, which was not normally a very respectful thing to do. But the father graciously gives him the inheritance. And the son, it says, goes and spends it on loose living in a distant country. You know, he goes to Cancun, spends it away on gambling and parties and drugs comes back with tattoos all over or whatever you know he just had a couple rough nights where don't remember where I got that tattoo or whatever I'm just picturing okay I'm just a little just a little my own imagination I'm not saying this says the Lord here but so he wants he goes on this journey and he spends all of his inheritance a full life inheritance and he spends in a season on loose living so then he ends up hiring himself out to one of the citizens of that country feeding pigs Low, low job. And if you know anything about the Bible, pigs were unclean. Jesus is making a statement. He's in the worst place possible at the lowest point someone could be in. And as he's feeding these pigs one day, Jesus says he comes to his senses. He realizes, you know what? I could be with my father back home. Maybe he'll just take me in as one of his servants and I'll go serve him there as a hired servant. So he comes to his senses, kind of brushes himself off and he heads back home. What kind of a response is he expecting from his father? I'm not sure, but this is what Jesus said the father's response was. And as you know the story, this is a, a depiction of our God and father. It says, so he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, he, uh, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. 
So you picture day in, day out, maybe the father is out on his front porch looking for his son. Maybe today will be the day. Maybe today is the day my rebellious son, my prodigal son is going to come home. And here he sees his son in the distance. And in their day, it would have been a shame for an elderly man to run. It was very shameful in their society. You didn't do that. It, it would kind of ruin your honor. But Jesus said this father actually got up and runs towards his son full of compassion and he embraces him and kisses him. The kiss is meant to symbolize like this is deep affection. He's not kind of, okay, now let's talk about this. No, he's just big open arms kissing him. And it says the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. You ever felt like that in your relationship with God? But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf. Kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found and they began to celebrate. I just picture like the son is just starting to repent. Father, I, I messed up. And he's like, okay, great. Hey, let's get the robe out. Let's get the fattened calf. Get the ring on his hand. Get the sandals on his feet. Let's honor this son. He's come to life again. Before, again, before we understand our our own place and compassion and how to have this kind of deep, merciful, tender response to people, we need to understand this is who our God is. Authoritatively, like based on what Jesus says, our Father is this dad who runs to meet broken, destitute, hurting, suffering, sinful people. I mean, we could just finish now. We won't, okay? Don't get your hopes up. (laughs) But this is who our God is. He's moved with compassion towards you and me, and not just a general sense, like there's this population of humans that God is kind of tugged towards. You personally, you know who you are. I know who I am. I said this to the, the camp out group. Last, I got to um, preach to the group last night. We're all jacked up, aren't we? Like if, if, if I could put your sin on this board and the sin that's been done to you, you would run. But God sees it perfectly with omniscient eyes and he knows those things and yet he still moved towards us, not away from us. If you saw my sin on this board, you would not want to be my friend. I assure you of this. And so we have to get this deep down in our gut. And maybe for some of us today, we feel like, you know, I I just don't see God being this kind of a compassionate, understanding, approachable God. I see him as always kind of disappointed in me. He's always ready to smack me down. And he's kind of just putting up with me. You know, maybe he's talking to the, Holy Spirit into the Son. Like, hey, did we sign anything where we have to keep this guy? Is there any agreement that we made? Like, is there any contract? That's not the case with our God. I love this. Here's just one more quote from that podcast, a different episode called, uh, oh, it's episode one, Gentle and Lowly. Ray Orland says, meek, humble, gentle. Jesus isn't trigger happy. He's not harsh, reactionary. 
easily exasperated. He's the most understanding person in the universe. Are you kidding me? This is unreal. This is why we call it the good news of the gospel, right? The, the posture most natural to him, Ray Orland continues, is not a pointed finger, but open arms. For all his resplendent glory and dazzling holiness, no one in human history has ever been approach, more approachable than Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? He's the guy when you have a party and someone kind of awkward walks in and you're thinking, oh shoot, this guy's here. Jesus is the first one to go and talk to that guy and sit down with him. This is who Jesus is. And so again, we just need to get this into our, our bones. This is how God views us. Again, Hebrews 4.15, we do not, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize, have compassion towards our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things and yet without sin. We have a Jesus who understands the suffering, the trauma, the sin that we, we deal with. So God is compassionate. Now, now we can think, as, as we've thought long enough about God's compassion, now we can think together about our compassion. What does it look like as image bearers of this God to now begin to reflect more fully the compassion of this kind, compassionate God? So turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, and we'll just read just a part of this verse as we think about our role in compassion. Colossians chapter 3, Verse 12. Paul is addressing a church who had been in, uh, had false teachers who were coming among them and talking about what it looks like to really be spiritual, what it looks like to be really whole. And Paul is saying that all those methods that they're trying to tell you are really foolish. Chapter 1 and 2. In chapter 3, he's getting at the point that if you've died in Christ, you've given your life to Jesus, you've been buried with him, and you've been raised to new life, that's actually where the power is. And then you live, you begin to live like that's who you really are and put on that reality. So read with me verse 12, just the first part. Paul says, So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, Put on or be clothed with a heart of compassion. So I want to note just a couple things about this verse. The first thing is that our compassion, Christian compassion, is rooted in our identity in Christ. Notice the way he starts. As those who are chosen, holy, and beloved. He's identifying us. Those who are in Christ. This is who you are. And now as a result of who you are, those, that root system, now you're going to pr uh, produce the fruit. Any of you guys plant stuff? Any gardeners in here? I think there's a whole box of stuff back there. Thank you, Jess. Appreciate that. The zucchini squash was great last week. Put it on the barbecue. But if you know anything about planting stuff, when you plant something in soil, the roots take on the nutrients in the water from that soil. And so too for us as Christians, anything good in our life Anything that's worthy of praise and excellence that's like actual fruit from the Holy Spirit is a result of us being rooted in our new identity in Jesus Christ. And the fruit of that 
is a life lived worthy of him. Uh, we're abiding. Jesus said, if you, um, you can do nothing apart from me in John 15. And so that's the idea. Paul is saying, this is who you are. And then we'll think about the compassion part. But just to think about these different components of our identity. He says that we're chosen. This word chosen, it, uh, it also is translated elect. I think in the King James Version and the New King James Version, it's the same word, eklektos in the Greek. And it means to be elected or chosen out from something. And it doesn't necessarily mean the rejection of what's not chosen, but the choosing of, uh, of a people. And I'm not going to get into the weeds of exactly how that plays out. I got my ideas and opinions on that. I told uh, the camp last night, I said, hey, if you got questions, Sam will answer all those questions. His email is sam at Philippi Church. Um, but the idea is that God does choose. And, and no, no one debates that this doctrine of election is in Scripture. It's just how does that play out? Why, why does he choose and how does he choose? But the idea is that we're God's chosen people. And, and it's important to remember, too, that the way God chooses us, remember, we're thinking about identity. You know, I realized last night, I spent probably two-thirds of this sermon, maybe three-quarters, just talking about God, who we are in Him, and then just a little bit about what it looks like to live in Him, which I think is really important. What was I saying? The way that God chooses, it's not like how you and I choose uh, a fruit in the grocery store. When you're looking for fruit, I, there was a time when I, Jasmine had a work party. My wife, Jasmine, had a work party, and she asked me to go pick out a watermelon. No one really knows what they're doing when they're picking out a watermelon. You know, you're sitting there, you're tapping it in the store, holding it up to the light or whatever, you know. No one knows what they're doing. I, you know, some of you people might have a hack, but so I get this watermelon, I cut it up and I give it to her for her work party. And it was, I'm not kidding you, it was the worst watermelon I've ever had in my entire life. And all my confidence for picking out melons went out the window. She looked at me, yeah. So, but God, when he chooses us, he's not looking for the non-bruised banana. He's not looking for the perfect watermelon. That's not how God makes his choice of us as a people. In fact, it seems like he chooses the bruised things of the world. He chooses the foolish things of the world to what? To shame the wise. God actually chooses the beat up, bruised up banana in the back that's a discount sale or whatever, they'll just give it to you. And he repurposes that banana, gives it new life, and makes it tasty for his glory. Maybe taking the banana thing too far, but you get the idea. This is how God chooses. So if you feel like, man, I'm nothing special. I don't know how God would ever. No, no, no. God actually likes to choose those who are least in his kingdom. Amen? That's good news. The next word Paul says as he's rooting us in our identity is holy. We're chosen and we're holy. This word, it means to be set apart, to be clean for God's use. Picture what happens when you wash your dishes. They're useful again. We used to have a dishwasher and it was wonderful. Now we don't have a dishwasher and we hand wash. And sometimes I don't do a very good job of making these dishes holy and clean like they should be. Um, and... Uh, but that's what God has done for us. He's made us useful for his service. And this is actually where we get our word saint. Um, there was a time where I was a part of a men's Bible study and, and one of the, the men was the, the men who were there, he was kind of laughing at the idea of him being a saint. 
you know, hey, I'm not, I'm no saint. Nothing about me that's very saintly. But the reality is, if you and I are in Jesus Christ, we are holy. We are saints. That's our identity. And isn't it true the way that you view yourself will actually change the way that you live? If you tell a child you're not worth anything, you're not special, you're not valuable, how will that child turn out? They're going to have some identity issues. But if you root them in who they are in your family, their identity, it will bring them a long way. This last word Paul uses of our identity, he says beloved, and it just means beloved, to be loved by God. To, uh, the word actually means to, for God to take pleasure in us personally, to delight in us. And something I like to remind myself of often is that God not only loves me, but he likes me. God not only loves you, but he likes you. He, he takes pleasure in you. This is amazing. This is phenomenal. The God of the universe who created all things looks at you today and says, this is my beloved child. Do you remember what Jesus, when Jesus was baptized, the Father sends the Spirit like a dove upon him and Jesus is coming up out of the water. What did the Father proclaim over his son? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this is the case for you. If you're a Christian, that same declaration is true of you. The way the Father, and just, you have to get this. We have to get this. The way the Father loves the Son is the exact way He loves you. Infinite, pure, unrelenting, powerful love where God could say to Mike, that's my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is amazing. <laughs> this, is, whew, this is awesome. Okay, so this is who we are in Christ. And now we learn to put on compassion as a result of our rootedness in this identity. If you have the NIV translation, I believe that the second part of verse 12 actually says, be clothed with a heart of compassion. And that's a, in the Greek, that's literally what it means to be clothed with compassion. You know when you buy new clothes? It just feels fresh, it feels good, it feels clean. This is what it's like to walk as a Christian. We're putting on, like clothing, our new self. Paul says that we're to put on the armor of God in Ephesians 6. It's the same idea. We're wrapping ourselves in these truths, in this new identity that we have in Jesus Christ. In verse 9, back up with me, because he actually kind of is doing the same thing back in verse 9 in chapter 3. He says, do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self. And that it, it's the same word, actually, to be clothed with the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Just to stop there. The idea is that we've, as I've already said, we've been put to death in Christ. We have already laid aside the old self. That's a done deal. We're justified. We're just as righteous as Jesus is because of his sacrifice. And now we're learning to put on that new self. Like a new garment, we're learning to live into that thing. So I'm righteous in Christ, but now I'm actually learning to live like I am righteous in Christ. Does that make sense? So that's what Paul is calling us to. And this is a kind of like a, you know, he says, you've already put on the new self. That's a past tense reality. 
and then you're being renewed. So this is a present tense reality. That's where all of us are at today. If we're in Christ, it's a sanctification process where God is cleaning us and helping us to put on our new self by the power of his spirit. So we're being renewed. One of the things that I get to do part-time is I I do um, carpentry with Levi Whitney. Levi, if you know Levi, he's part of our church. And um, one of the things that we do most of is remodels, where we take kind of this outdated, dilapidated, broken down, maybe not dilapidated, but just, hey, we want this wall moved or whatever, and we make this house something that's fresh and brand new and exciting. Um, when I was a kid, we had a, on our property, we had a, a shed that we turned into a house. And so we thought it'd be cl- pretty clever if we called it the Shouts. So it was a shed house. And all of us four kids ended up living there at one point or another, which had its pros and its cons. But that's what, what God is doing in and through us. Where he's taking this broken down, dilapidated soul, you and me, making us brand new and teaching us to walk in that reality and to live in that reality, to put it on. And he does that through difficult circumstances and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and through fellowship. As we're thinking about compassion, God is wanting to renew that in us, to, to learn to actually wear that. So just some closing thoughts for us as, as we wrap up. You might say, you know, I don't feel very compassionate. Not a very compassionate person. Not very sensitive. For some of us, we might ask the question, do we know Jesus? Because in part, as Christians, there ought to be just even a tiny bit of a growing compassion for broken people. Because this is who Jesus is. And if we've experienced his compassion, then we will naturally grow into giving it towards others. And so if you don't know the Lord and you don't have this identity, you feel like, yeah, I don't, I don't feel like I'm chosen, holy, beloved. I don't, I don't think that's true of me. Then the call for you is to turn from your sin and trust Christ to save you from your sin. That his compassion was displayed on the cross. God sent his son. He was so moved with compassion towards us broken people that he sent his son Jesus to die for us. So maybe that would be the case for you today, where you would turn to Jesus and and to be saved and to grow in compassion in light of that. One more thought, and then I want to just give some practical ideas on, on how to grow into compassion. Our compassion, my compassion, towards broken, destitute, sinful people is a good indicator of my belief and understanding of God's compassion for me. So to the degree that I'm able to and I'm willing to give out compassion to, our, to those who are around me who are not like me, who don't think like me, who don't believe like me even, who are broken, vile, dirty, whatever, that shows me a lot of my understanding of God's compassion for me. There's another parable about this. I don't have time to tell it, but Jesus in short, tells a a story about a guy who was forgiven of a a lifetime of debt. And that guy goes out and holds one of his debtors and throws him into jail. And the the king says, you know, you didn't understand it. You don't get it. How how am I to be compassionate and forgiving to you? And then you're not going to be compassionate and forgiving to others. And so I think this is just a good kind of a, a gut check a little bit. Going back to our first point, how well do we understand God's compassion? towards us. 
Because I think to the degree that we do understand it, it will help us to be compassionate towards those around us. Okay, just some practical kind of try these out kind of um, principles as we wrap up. Firstly, um, climb into the casket with others. What do I mean by that? There's an author named Robert Kellerman who writes a book called Spiritual Friends. It's like a spiritual biblical counseling book. And he says to climb into the casket with people. Meaning sometimes compassion looks like just entering into someone's death. Suffering feels like death. You enter into the death and just sit with them. Climb into the casket and die. (laughs) That doesn't sound very hopeful. It's like, well, how are we going to fix them? That's not the point. Sometimes in compassion, we're just sitting with them and offering them our presence. So maybe that's something you can try as you think about being compassionate. Maybe there's someone in your life who's dealing with mourning and loss that you can just go and enter into the casket with them. I'd say secondly, listen more than you speak. James 1.19 says that we should be quick to hear and slow to speak. Some of you are talkers. I'm one of them. Okay, I want to say stuff. I want to talk. I want to fix. Well, if you just did this, I got five verses for you. Let's go. Let's get over this thing, you know. But we have to be careful with this. We want to listen more than we speak. Just as a general rule of thumb, try to listen more, ask questions more than we speak. Uh, Thirdly, be careful with sarcasm. Some of us can be so sarcastic that those who we would want to be compassionate towards don't really trust our compassion because we're always making light of things. We don't take anything seriously. And uh, it can be really the enemy of genuine compassion. And maybe you felt that where someone was sarcastic toward you and you were the butt of their joke and, and you feel like, man, they're not really compassionate towards me. They're not sympathetic. Uh, maybe you don't struggle with that, but I have in my, my walk with the Lord, and God graciously sent me a pastor who said, Cody, you can't keep being sarcastic. Now, I'll still be funny. I'll, I'll still, I want to still, like, we can have some fun, you know, you have to kind of feel your audience out, who you're talking to, but we never make someone the butt of our joke, and we don't make someone the point of our joke. And so just, just careful with sarcasm because the, the, the worst thing is, and maybe you've had this experience where you'll say something sarcastic about a life circumstance or a trauma that someone right next to you is going through or has gone through that you have no idea about. And it's, it's not compassionate. It's not kind. Um, fourthly, allow God's compassion for you to feel your compassion for others. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, Allow God's comfort that you've received to then comfort other people. So as you think about God's compassion towards you, this father who's running out to you in your sin, you know your own mess, then surely I can be compassionate to to those who are around me. Uh, Be careful not to let your compassion blind you from calling other Christians to real holiness. So this can get us in trouble sometimes where we're, we sympathize with and are and compassionate towards people to the point where we actually never call them to repentance. We never say hard things. And it's hard to say hard things, isn't it, to people we love? We don't like to do this. Actually, some of you might like doing this. But for some of us, we, we're scared to kind of enter into those conversations, and so we're just going to only do compassion, compassion, and never confrontation. 
Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. I think that's really true. Here's another Proverbs on this idea. He is on the path of life who heeds instruction, but he who ignores reproof goes astray. So just, just a warning. We want to be careful not to let our compassion blind us from actually calling Christians towards real holiness, real godliness. Lastly, be careful, and I want us to hear this because I think we can all fall into this trap. Be careful not to let the perceived smallness or insignificance of someone's suffering or struggle detract your compassion from them. Let me say that one more time. Be careful not to let the perceived smallness or insignificance of someone's suffering or struggle detract your compassion from them. So the idea is, I've been through much worse, therefore I don't have to be compassionate towards you. You've not earned my compassion because I've been through harder things. My birth experience was more difficult. My upbringing was more traumatic, abusive, dark. My battle with depression is more severe than yours. My work week is way harder than yours. I work harder than you. So why are you complaining about your part-time? Fill in the blank. So therefore, I'm going to retract my compassion from you because you don't deserve it. I want us to think about this in terms of the gospel. Imagine if Jesus looked at you and said, you don't deserve compassion because I've been through much worse than you, which is true of Jesus. You know, I I picture it's like a, a little girl who scrapes her knee and she's crying. And you say, get over it. I've been through much worse. I broke my leg. That's a genuine pain that that little girl is enduring. And even if we've been through worse pain in our minds, our own estimation, it's not insignificant for that little girl. You think about the first heartbreaks you have as a teenager. It's like your life is ending, you know? And for someone who's been through marital strain, you might look at that teenager and say, that's no big deal, come on. But we ought to be moved with compassion, knowing that they don't need to earn our compassion. That's a real suffering that they're going through. And, and again, just to, I want just to summarize again, Jesus, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. And by the power of, our, of, of his spirit, by walking in this new self, we can actually start giving out compassion toward those, toward, toward those around us. Let me just ask, how are you at compassion? How do you do with compassion? Hopefully, today you can walk away and, and just allow the Spirit of God through what He said in His Word, search your own heart, and to ask, how can I grow in compassion toward those who are around me? I'll be the first to say, man, there are times when I need to be compassionate where I'm not. Times where I need to be patient and I'm not. Times where I need to be merciful and I'm just not. So this is, this is a message for me of a really... Uh, conviction. And so hopefully you feel some of that too. And by the power of God's Spirit, you can walk out of here um, growing into conformity to Christ in His compassion. Father, I pray that as we, as we worship you now and we lift up your greatness, that the greatness, the surpassing greatness of your compassion um, would overflow down onto us. Lord, that your mercy your pity, your kindness and compassion would so flood our own souls 
and would wreck us because this kind God who owes us nothing has turned his compassionate gaze towards us forever. Lord, that that would just melt us afresh. Teach us, Lord, to be compassionate people. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and we'll worship with one more song.